Recovery Radio, where we discuss substance abuse treatment and recovery. You can listen live at blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG Radio. Please note that the views and opinions of our hosts and guests are not necessarily the views of OCG, nor is it meant to replace professional advice or the advice of your physician. And now, here's our show, Roach on Recovery, with your host, Orville Roach. Welcome, welcome, folks, to Roach on Recovery. This is your host, Orville Roach, along with my producer and co-host, Chris Morales. Follow us, please. <laughs> 646-564-9909 is the number. 646-564-9909 is the number if you want to call in to speak to us. If you just want to listen to the show, you can go to our website, ocgworks.org. That's O-C-G-W-O-R-K-S dot O-R-G, and click on the OCG Radio Live button. You can also go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG Radio. And you don't have to call in on the call-in line to listen to the show, but if that's your only means. Make it happen. By all means. Um, It's about... What, 63 degrees in Bonnie? Balmy, 63. It's maybe a little colder than that, actually. The wind is picking up around Well, we are going to get uh, wind for we're, the next three days. Yeah, we're dealing with, with that wind chill factor. You're feeling in the 50s, for sure. Yeah, it's it's getting down there low. It's going to lead It's going to lead the headline news tonight that the temperature is going to drop into the low 50s. Rough for Californians. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> um... Well, our last show, was it uh, after spring or before spring? spring it was, was on... before spring. Okay, so this is our first spring show? It's our first spring show. I believe Thursday, no, 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 Saturday was this past weekend that was the Vernal Equinox. Okay, all right. So this is our first spring show. Okay, good stuff. Easter coming up. That's right. Um, Anything on the recap? I got. I got one thing. What do you got on uh, recap? Well, we got. I had a uh, a good message um, from one of our our loyal listeners uh, from our show last week, where we were taking pride in saying, "I don't know." That's right. Hey, sometimes <laughs> that's just you got to be and, honest. And, and she she did have a great piece piece of advice, which I agree with wholeheartedly, which was that um, in, in some cases where we actually really don't know and. We didn't know, but that we should, in terms of leaving the person with uh, 
rather than leaving them, just leaving it with an I don't know. But if there's something we can follow up on and you know, research and then bring it back and, and, and speak to it on our next show, um, then it doesn't kind of leave them hanging there. And I agree with that 100%. Um, but I mentioned to her, I said, but it's so liberating sometimes just to say I don't know and leave it at that. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> you can't know everything. You can research it, however, though. So the the one thing I didn't add uh, in my response to her, which I I wanted to say for uh, the show, is is why the I don't know is sometimes so liberating. There's oh, a story okay. behind that. Okay. Personal story. Yes. All right. So my two daughters, which are only 18 months apart, when they were young, and you know at the age when they start asking 150 questions per hour. What is that like? Age four, age five. Sure, okay. that's a lot of questions. Right, and then it you know it continues all the way up until maybe age fourteen, and then around fourteen, and then at that age they know everything, right? Uh, yeah, at that age you're asking them you, questions. You can't tell they them. Have the you, you can't tell them Jack after that. <laughs> right. But um, that when they reach that age of fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, and they would ask something, I would take pleasure in saying, I don't know. And the I don't know really meant for me, which was even if I did know the answer was, look it up, sure. research it, yeah. read it, go find the answer. Yeah, okay, I like that. Stance. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, do some, do some, do some legwork. Yeah, I'm not going to make it I'm easy. Not gonna, on yeah, you. I'm not going to be the walking uh, encyclopedia. Go do the work. Yeah, good call. All you right. I mean, I so, can see that. I like that. Wanted to at least teach them to, you know, the easy the easy way is, uh, you know, ask dad and I'll get the answer. Right, first, sure. First of all, I don't know the answer to these new school questions. <laughs> first and foremost. <laughs> and uh, I even got to a point where I said, you know, back in the day, uh, we would have to, we would have to actually go to physically to the library. Yeah. To look stuff up if you didn't have encyclopedias in your home, sure, so to speak. Of course. I said, why don't you just damn Google it? Right? Yeah, it's information <laughs> it, at your fingertips. At your fingertips. I said, you guys have it so much uh, easier in terms of the availability of information at the, at the tip of your hands that you can, you know, any question that you have that's related to something to do with school or what yeah. have you, you can just Google it. I'll bet they don't even answer. know what the uh, Dewey Decimal System is. Oh, they have no idea. <laughs> Can, they can't even convert uh, standard measurements to to metric. metric. So anyway, that's all I had under the recap. That's pretty good. And, so and, basically, and I might continue uh, <laughs> complaining about that throughout the show. So basically, for anyone who plans on calling in today, um, you might want to just do the research yourself. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's where we're that's where we're gonna take that one if we don't know. <laughs> Find out yourself. Oh, so. Are we moving into our show topic? I think we can move into the show topic. Okay. Well. it's a good one. We've given birth. That's it. The third trimester is over. That's it. You've been reborn. Welcome to the new in, world. Into the recovery lifestyle. So I wrote in my show description two questions to start off. How does it feel? And how do you feel? I'm not capable of that emotion. <laughs> and those two questions, as I wrote, are vastly different in their meaning. 
So when a person exits the treatment setting after being in the cocoon and the warmth of the womb and the the safety of the environment and the the uh the accountability of your peers, etc., you're now what you referred to, Mr. Producer, last week as the draft has now become a full-blown open window and open front door. You're now out there exposed to the elements. That's it. Um, so when the question is posed normally to someone who is now in this new phase, this new experience, how does it feel? Uh, historically, I, when I've asked that question, the answer I've received is, you know, it, it feels good. Um, I feel like I've accomplished something in terms of completing something that I've started. Um, then to the next question, how do you feel, usually garners a different response. Yeah. Or if they misunderstand the question based on their response, I can tell if they misunderstood the question. Sure. If they're still giving me answers in regards to how does it feel, you know what I mean? Yeah. The it is different from the you. Right. And so normally the you would be, you know, it feels kind of scary. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a little bit of apprehension being out there. Yeah. Um, a little anxiety. A little anxiety. Um, but I have to, you know, challenge that like I, ha- like I have, use the tools, overcome that, you know, all, all the things that we've preached and gone horse talking about during the treatment experience. Um, so the two separate questions, which should have two separate answers, and and you'll know when you've heard the correct response, because feeling anxiety, feeling a little bit of fear, trepidation, etc., is what anyone would feel. If you remember me saying last week, most of us feel the same way in similar cir- circumstances. What separates us is what we, how we respond to the feelings, what what we what we do. Yeah, you know what I mean. So, some may succumb to the feeling, and as a result, do something that's not in their best interest. And others are able to acknowledge what they're feeling, to be aware, is to be alive, and you know, acknowledge how I'm feeling, but make correct decisions in my best interest, regardless of the fact that I have a little bit of anxiety, I have a little bit of fear, a little bit of trepidation about stepping out there, right. putting all this stuff to the test that I've learned. Etc. Absolutely. So, um, what are the keys to succeeding postpartum? It's treatment and recovery postpartum to grab, you know, to continue the theme. That's it. So, so let me just inter interject another quick story, if you don't mind, Mr. Producer. Interject away. Where did where, where did this pregnancy analogy all start and come from? Well, my oldest child is is with child, and due any day now, any moment. Wow, we're we're, we're on the text lines. We're, we're checking oh, yeah, the phone we're on, regularly. We're, huh? on, we're on borrowed time right now. <laughs> okay, okay. Josiah has dropped into position and is you know, she's walking and doing all the all the stuff that they should be doing. But um, I don't know. One day I was just look you know looking at her and you know. In reflecting on watching the experience for the second time, because so this will be my second grandchild, right? Congratulations! Um, and uh, watching her go from again, you know, being 
a few weeks pregnant to now ready to ready to go ready to give birth and it just hit me that it's it's such a similar path and you know analogy to someone entering recovery and yeah. then coming you know I'm not enter, entering treatment uh acknowledging their addiction going through that process and then finishing treatment and coming out on the other on the other side okay you know what I mean so that's just how it struck me so I, I've been on this this pregnancy analogy, which does not end today, by the way, it's and it's fitting. It, it does it does really fit. So, uh, but so the way I gather from what you're saying is you look at the analogy or the metaphor from the mother's point of view. Mm-hmm. Okay. See, in my mind, I I more gravitate toward the child's view. Mm-hmm. Let's hear. So from uh, the day you enter treatment mm-hmm. or, or, you know, the uh, conception the of the child mm-hmm. in the first three months when uh, there are some very vital things taking place mm-hmm. as far as, you know, form and shape and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, and then so on and so forth mm-hmm. through the three to six month period and then the six to nine month where – just kind of like you said, the the warmth of the cocoon and the shelter, and you're about to full draft. You're about to <laughs> come into the real come into the real world and put it, you know, put put your life to the test. Maybe you haven't learned as much, obviously, but the when I think of the analogy, I think of the the process of the the child ver- versus the mother. But mm-hmm. I, that's also a very fitting angle as well. Mm-hmm. And postpartum, obviously more uh referring to the mother and not the child of course mm-hmm. but i still look at a hey, the child's first experience <laughs> yeah, in, yeah in the real world yeah yeah they're they're parallel that's right right that's so right. we can go back we can use either side especially now at this stage um because it's almost uh like the person you know entering this new experience of the recovery outside the structured setting of the treatment environment as 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 a, a you know a, a a child a young person in recovery, sure you know what I mean, and to have all of the uh, you know the uh, characteristics, sure of uh, of a new person or a young person um, in recovery. So um, so what what are the keys postpartum to succeeding? You're you're out now. Um, you got ten fingers, ten toes. <laughs> you're breathing well. Um, you have been bombarded, I would say, in that the second trimester and third trimester with tons of information. Yeah. You know what I mean. Uh, we hope that there's been as much as possible retained. Yeah, you know retention, I mean? very important. Right. Um, so what are some of the keys? To uh, overcoming this, the the new obstacle, the challenge? Yeah, you're, you're you know, you're, po- you're, you're it, using your example from the child's perspective, the child's out the womb. So trying to make a metaphorical analogy to the person leaving the, sure, the yeah. womb of the treatment yeah. setting 
stepping out into the new world, what are some of the keys to, for them to succeed into in that critical state? Isn't it interesting that there's always critical stages? Stages. You know yeah, I mean? oh yeah. Like that first three months, we said, oh, that's a very important critical stage. And then here we are again on the back end of the treatment experience, and we're entering another critical well, this is the nature of recovery. Mm-hmm. The the beast in and of itself is critical. Mm-hmm. Everything about it, mm-hmm. right? So someone who was addicted to drugs, alcohol, whatever the case may be, who is now battling that addiction, for lack of a better term, and will be doing so for the foreseeable future, uh, everything is critical. Mm-hmm. Every step of the way is critical because one misstep you know, and it can all end pretty quickly. And so I think just by the nature or, or the severity of what it is we're tackling, every step is critical. Mm-hmm. And I actually think, like you said, uh, or the question that you put on the table of how do we overcome this new obstacle or this new challenge, mm-hmm. um, a lot of it goes into the idea that you keep in mind that it is critical. Mm-hmm. It is important. Mm-hmm. You haven't gotten it. Just because you went through treatment and now I'm healed and fixed and mm-hmm. I can do whatever I want and not have to worry or take precautions or um, you know preventative measures in certain situations, um, it's important. Mm-hmm. I, I think that having that anxiety, that trepidation, mm-hmm. that little bit of fear mm-hmm. is very much healthy mm-hmm. and necessary. Mm-hmm. I've always told people who have either asked me for advice or wanted to speak to me and they were sharing with me how they felt about leaving soon. And they would, many, many clients have come to me and described that they are scared. Mm -hmm. They're, they're feeling some fear. And my response to them from day one to now in the 11 years I've been in the field has never changed. Mm -hmm. And it is that harness that fear. Harness that anxiety and use it for energy mm-hmm. or motivation to push through and succeed. Mm-hmm. I said, my my main analogy with these people is the reason you're afraid is because you're about to embark on something that is important to you. Mm-hmm. If it was not important to you, you wouldn't be afraid of failing because failing would not matter. Mm-hmm. I liken that to people who are in school. I tell them all the time, if people who go into a test that have some nerves going, the only reason they're nervous is because they want to do well, mm-hmm. they've studied, mm-hmm. and they're they're hoping that that happens, and they're afraid they may not. It has to be important for you to feel those nerves. Right. You go into a test, and it doesn't matter whether I pass or fail, there's not going to be any nerves because I don't care what the right. outcome is. And I have told the people who come to me in legitimate fear, mm-hmm. afraid, borderline tears sometimes when they're going through sharing this emotion with me, and I say, you know what? It is the people that come to me, oh, I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> no, no, no problem. No no fear Got their luggage all. and everything. <laughs> no, those are the people that concern me, for mm-hmm. sure. And I said, if you're feeling a little bit of fear, believe me, it, it is healthy. If for nothing more, then it is a sign that it matters to you, yeah. that you care. You, know? you realize the importance of this aspect of your life um, and that decisions moving forward are going to have serious uh, impact, especially if you have come into treatment under the the guidance 
<laughs> of the criminal justice system. <laughs> the guiding hand. <laughs> the guiding hand of the criminal <laughs> justice system. Right. Um, or, um, you know, circumstances where your success is absolutely necessary. And so I agree 100% uh, with your assessment and your analogy of staying plugged in, um, connected. uh, If aftercare has been prescribed for you, which normally it is, if someone's, you know, um, been in residential um, or even day treatment, um, you might have aftercare, you know, yeah. meetings, et cetera, weekly or biweekly, whatever the case may sure. be. Sure, yeah, yeah. Um, where you can talk about what your experiences are now, you know, living out there in the real real, real world and having real world, uh, you know, things going on. And those groups, by the way, for anybody out there listening to the show, uh, are... Very, very, very powerful. Mm-hmm. Awesome groups. Maybe mm-hmm. some of the best groups you will find, even having gone through a residential treatment component, having the camaraderie, the group of folks who have been through it, who are now living in the real world, a, a mix, some who have been doing it for a year, some who are just entering. You're going to get a lot of good information and yeah. knowledge out of those groups. Uh, it comes down to uh, that same thing, you know, um, about... You know, where else in our common ground can you find your... Yeah, your, your, yeah, your yeah, absolutely. So in, each, in each aspect, even in these aftercare groups, you'll find your mirror or people who are, hey, you know, what's your experience now? I, I experienced and felt the That's same right. exact thing. Here's some of the things you can do to push on through that. Yeah. And more importantly, by the way, look, here's my number if you if you need someone to talk to. This, right. this is why we always stress to people about, come, you know, attending the groups yeah, uh, back. aftercare. That's right. Um, what are the pitfalls? You, you already mentioned one, the overconfidence. Oh, man. Cockiness. Um, that always ends. Uh, no, I really don't need to come to group. You know, I think I've gotten everything that, that, oh, that yeah. I need to get. Um, thinking that you know it all where no one. You hear that out there? No one knows it all. If you believe you know it all, that that means all of a sudden, that means you can't learn. And we're sitting around learning from people. I'm speaking about myself. We learn from people coming in. That's right. Right off, you know, day one, right off the street. That's right. Um, So if someone is, uh, you know, moving into that next phase of, of, of their recovery process and they have this air that, there's nothing else left for them to learn, nothing else that they can be told. Um, that's a red flag. Ooh, is it ever? Serious uh, pitfall. Um, sometimes another pitfall may not be, this may not be something that the person is aware of, but maybe a staff person that may have worked closely with them may be aware of, because they may know some of their characteristics, you know, their flags, you know, when 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 they know something is up with that person mm. and may have noticed upon, as they moved through that phase of exiting out, mm-hmm. you know, 
certain things about them um, that have given them pause and concern, and I'm sure have, have you know brought it to the attention of the person. Um, but oftentimes, and, and history has shown this, usually when there are things that bring you as a as a staff person pause and concern, that doesn't mean there's enough time to address it. Meaning, when I say address it, meaning that not only do you bring it to the person's attention, but you have a time time to flush it out. Right. You know what I mean? Um, and whether or not it's, uh, you know, just your, my, is it my, uh, my over-concern about their well-being, or is it something legitimate? You know, I have to flush that out, too. You know what oh, I mean? Oh, yeah, yeah. You and, gotta, there, yeah. There just, and there just may not be time, enough time left to do that, so... They've they've gone on with that with you know they've moved on and I'm left with that concern and worry but okay they're out there um, and so maybe that's not so much them that's that's me worrying about them possibly having a pitfall but that's that's just part of being you know being in the field right you know of course um, we had we did a whole show. Was that our New Year's show or no, or, or Christmas show on triggers? Which one was on triggers? It that was it was actually maybe even Thanksgiving. It was yeah, Thanksgiving yeah, yeah, or yeah, Christmas because yeah. it was the holidays. Yeah, it wasn't the New Year's show. New Year's show was about letting it go. Um, and the we also did. Did we do a separate show on negative reservations? Or was that just we we included that? I think we that. included oh, that okay. in there. Um, so as a part of the pitfalls is, you know. We were asking, we just were just asking this rhetorically. What do you know? What your triggers are walking out the door, so you can readily identify them. And there is that unwritten philosophy again that I love to quote: "To be aware is to be alive." Are you aware of what your triggers are, so when you when they present themselves, you can identify them, acknowledge them, and take uh, what's what's a good air, air, airplane analogy? Mm. Take what kind of uh, action? Uh, preventative. No. Uh, what kind of action? Uh, I'm getting tested on my airline knowledge here. Take evasive action. Evasive. Yeah. There you go. (laughs) Take some evasive action. Um, evasive maneuvers. Evasive maneuvers. There you go. Um, and you know, on the negative reservations. Unfortunately, from where we sit. There's nothing we can do because in order to address negative reservations, it requires the person, the client, to come forth with it. Oh, yeah. You've know, you got to put it on the table. Yeah, it's not us doing an, an, an interrogations you know, before you walk out the door. Do you have any negative reservations? you sure? What are they? That's, that's not our role. Right. Um, it's for you to hopefully feel enough you know, trust and, 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 and feel that you can be honest enough to say, you know, this is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm thinking, and having enough time to flush that out. Yeah, you know what I mean. Right. Uh, it, it is the worst thing, in my opinion, for someone to leave with negative reservations hanging. Oh, sure. We yeah. have to flush those out. We have to, you know, get to the bottom of them, and we have to arrive at a. a, a I need to see, hear, and feel that you have arrived at a place where that no longer exists. Otherwise, I'm going to have concern. Of course. And by the way, 
The negative reservation is not always about using. Right. And you know what I mean? That It's not always the obvious one. It could be about going back to the boyfriend. Sure. Or the girlfriend. Or, you know, going back to a certain uh, hangout. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. There's, there's many different things that could be negative reservations that could put you in positions that you shouldn't be in those critical stages. Right. A reservation to return to a behavior or, or an action. Mm-hmm. On some level, that may not be relapsing directly, so to speak, right. but the first step toward it or mm-hmm. or moving in the direction of it. Yeah, I just don't want people to think, because usually when you hear negative reservations, the first thing that pops into mind is, is not our minds, but when we're talking to clients, et cetera, it's about what they think we're talking they about, wanted to about use. using. Right. And, well, no, actually, the the using is just the end result. Right, right, you right. Know? Of course, and not that you can't have a negative. Some some people have negative. Oh, I think I can have one one drink a week, or I can smoke just one joint. I mean, yes, we know that there's that. So some people do have that's real, but more often than not, the negative reservations are other things in right. their lives that can send them back down that road where the end result might be right. they might end up using again. Right, associated with right using. Um, what's the proper care and feeding? You you brought up the uh, the the wonderful analogy. I, I I wasn't even thinking of it when I wrote this line. What's the proper care and feeding, metaphorically speaking, of course, for those new in recovery? And you added about from the child's perspective, so this fits right in with it. What's the proper care and feeding of someone new in recovery? Well, I need a I need a nap at least every two hours. <laughs> <laughs> I, I need to eat about every two hours. I don't. You tell me. You're the one with the with the kids. How often do they eat and nap when they're first born? All the time, right? Oh, they're they're they're. <laughs> it's constantly in one way and out the other. Constantly, oh. <laughs> um, nonstop. The nonstop production manufacturing cycle. Um. I'll tell so, you if the if the wife is listening, and I, I'm going to pray this doesn't get me in any kind of trouble. But the napping phase of that she of would all, love. First of all, which wife? <laughs> the one and only. Okay. The the one and only. Your wife or my wife? Oh, my wife. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, my wife. Okay. Um, yeah, if she were able to be in that uh, arena, the the cycle, the fourth cycle that we're speaking of here along the steps, mm-hmm. uh, napping all the time for her would be right up her alley because. Okay. She can't get enough naps in the day. Well, you know, naps are healthy. You come out. Oh, and, don't! Oh, why did you do that? All, all of the empirical studies show. <laughs> why did show, you have to go and do that? I, I, actually, let me let me backtrack because I used the plural term. I said naps. I should say a nap during the day. Oh, okay. Is, is you know, I mean, from kindergarten, right? You right. take a nap, right. and you come out. You know, unfortunately <laughs> for the parent, they you take they come pick you up at five o'clock. They give you a nap at three, and then when they pick you up, you're fully energized. Instead of giving you the nap at one. And then wearing you, you wearing you out. So when they pick you up, you're tired. I tell you, it's all a conspiracy. Well, I'm gonna have to ask you now to quantify nap, though. Okay, in nap. terms of in length of time. Yes. Uh, no more than thirty minutes. No more. Than, okay. Because if you go longer than that, you may risk yeah, wake, getting waking up feeling tired. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Good. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. you got me in trouble on one hand, and you kind of saved me there okay. on the back end. So I can I can accept that. So, so let's get back to the airplane analogy. So uh, you got yourself in trouble, and then you recovered. You were able to recover the aircraft and bring it back into stable flight. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Well done. All right. <laughs> um, 
So uh, back, back to the proper care and feeding, metaphorically speaking, uh, some of it I think we touched on or, or, or is cross, cross, cross analogy. Um, I need to go to my, my aftercare groups, my follow-up groups. I yep. need to uh, pra- continue to practice using the tools that I've learned um, that help me develop my coping mechanisms. Yep. Because if I don't practice them, then as in anything, right, if you don't practice and you just stop doing it, it, it you kind of lose, you know, it's not... I don't think the the old atom of the uh, uh, the old adage about the bicycle, you know, you never forget how to ride a bike applies. Absolutely here. not. This has to be the tools of 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 coping with dealing with your feelings and dealing with uh experiences that come your way in recovery, you have to practice. You can, you will we do not give Allen Iverson exemptions. This is it. I was like dying for the sound clip to be on my soundboard right, right there because that would have been perfect timing. But yeah, no, it does take um, practice. And one thing that is said, and this is actually clinically researched and um, and has been proven as well, is that you are only, when it comes to recovery, and I'm sure this is applicable to other things in life, but we're speaking about recovery there are only two directions you're moving in. There's mm. no such thing as stagnation. Right. You're either moving toward it or moving away from it. Mm. And so if moving toward it is the direction that you seek to be a part of or, or possess, then you must be practicing to get better with it or do whatever it is you need to work on in that moment day in and day out. Right. Because the second you stop moving toward it, you're moving in the other direction. And in the recovery context, more often than not, your life and the things that are going on in your life are going to always or usually present opportunities for practice. That's right. So if you're involved in a, a in an intimate relationship, there's going to be opportunities for practice. Trust me on that one. Yeah. If you if you have an immediate family that's near you with that you're you know that you're connected to, involved with, reunified with. There's going to be opportunities for practice. Trust me on that one. Anything that involves you interacting with another human being, whether it be at work or at home, yeah. there's going to be opportunities to practice. That's right. So there's not going to be a dearth of opportunity. Right. Okay. It's whether or not when the opportunities present themselves, do you take them up as an opportunity to practice, utilize my tools, be able to then reflect, look back, how did I do in that situation? Come to group. Talk about when the guy cut me off on the highway. How did I respond? Ooh. Or I got into an argument with a loved one. This is how I responded. Get feedback, etc. Yeah. So there certainly is not going to be a, a lack of opportunity to practice as whether or not you take it as an opportunity and then you utilize it. Right. So to me, that's the feeding part. Okay. You know what I mean? Sure. Constantly utilizing, you know, those, those you're, you're getting the opportunity to utilize those, those tools. Yeah. By using those moments. Right. Yeah, no, I agree. That that makes a whole lot of sense. Um, 
because you know what's going to happen. And, and again, this is historical, right? Mm-hmm. And and you you run outpatient groups, so you'll know. I have. You, yes. You, you you'll come across someone that you can tell through your interaction with them in the group that they really ha- haven't been putting themselves out there in any way, shape, or form, whether it's in their family life, relationship life, whatever it is. Sure. And so you then have to create the Push inter- a little yeah, bit. yeah, create the interaction by uh you know pushing that throttle up and getting some a little bit more thrust on those engines and um right you know creating some uh you know some yeah. tension there yeah and a little bit of movement in certain areas definitely um there are people and, and we I, do it out of love we do it out of, of course. love of course love and and, and respect and the knowledge yeah. with having either been through it or having seen it and and worked with it for several years the knowledge that it's a necessary step because many people will allow that fear that we spoke of a little bit ago to dictate how much they are willing to put themselves out there. Mm-hmm. So they're whole they're They may be gone, but the, some of them are still holding on to that cocoon for dear life, trying to, trying to bring it with them. So uh, since we're, we're not really being tracked yet by the FCC, <laughs> Eddie Hill had the perfect term for it. Uh, see it. Let me see how I can say this. Since we are speaking in in using the pregnancy context, he said they are holding on to that TIT. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> they don't want to wean off. <laughs> Not a chance. It's much too safe and much too comfortable and feels too good, of course. Yeah. That makes yeah, it makes a lot of sense too, and that's a good analogy. I have, and it really is. Let's hold your point. I don't want to forget where you're at, but I have to interrupt for uh, a a personal story. Another personal story. Let's hear it. On the TIT. Okay. Uh oh. <laughs> Easy now. <laughs> so part of my causes of action against my family, which uh, whenever I pass away, my lawyer will bring to court. Um. I will tell them one thing about me in my very early days when my mother may have made it public about me, something in my early days. And when I say early days, I mean birth till maybe age three or four. And it then takes on a life of of its own and the story becomes, you know, embellished and so on and so forth. And one of them is uh, where I said, you know, being born in a third world nation you know, I was breastfed till at least age two. Yeah. Okay. okay. That's totally normal in a third world country. Sure. And, but the word that's been put out on the street by the the enemies within, <laughs> okay. in the fa- in my my family, uh, oh yeah, he was breastfeeding at age four, five, and oh. six, and you know, the age just keeps <laughs> going up. <laughs> the number you, keeps, you just getting keeps getting higher, going, get huh? higher and higher. Holy smokes! Okay, and and and, I, and I'm accused of that. I'm the one who said it that my mother breastfed me until I was four. And I said I never said anything near that. <laughs> right. We're right. gonna ask your mother. I said, go ahead and call her. She'll tell you it was only till age eighteen months or two years old. Okay. And I said, and by the way, the nerve to embellish the story, knowing that at age three my sister was born. Oh yeah, see. So that would have cut me off right, right off the right, bat. Right off the bat. You know what I mean? So, but they just enjoy embellishing the story. Of course, okay. So, moving right along. <laughs> sure, sure. 
Um, historically, another thing that I've seen from people who have moved into the postpartum phase is we talked about you know the you know being cocky or overconfident. Sound like a dichotomy. You can have, like you said, legitimate fear, trepidation, and anxiety. Well, at the same but at time, the same time, being confident with what you have absorbed, your plan of action of how you're going to put it into play, etc. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Absolutely. You can be confident about that. Okay? Absolutely. Um, which coincides with the healthiness of the fear, the trepidation, and the anxiety. They, they they all mesh together because if you think about it, even in a sports analogy, some of our greatest sports stars who excelled in in the critical and most important moments of games uh-huh. and lived to tell about it would tell you that yeah they although they may have felt fear they put it in their back pocket and still took the shot. Right. Still made the pass. Still made. Still made the catch. You know, right. whatever. Still made the throw. Whatever it is, it's whatever sport you want to yeah. analogy you want to make. They did whatever it is they had to do, despite the, the the fear or the trepidation and anxiety. But their confidence in their abilities, the confidence in their practice, allowed them to rise to the occasion. That's and, right. And so we have people exiting who exhibit that. So it's not over. You know, not overconfident. I think they have the right amount. Of confidence, because yeah. I would be concerned if the only thing was fear, yeah. trepidation, and anxiety. So, do you feel confident about anything in terms of your abilities to put into play the things you've learned? I don't want to hear no as an answer. Right. Of course. Yeah, and well, and the combination is is crucial, and. You don't want to have just one or the other. Mm-hmm. You want to have a balance. But so in your analogy with using sports, the fear might be there, but you do not allow the fear to dictate right. your decision, right. i.e., I'm not going to take the shot because right. I'm afraid. I do have some fear, but I'm also very confident. I've been practicing for this moment. Exactly. And so the two go, and the same with the school analogy that I made walking into a, a final exam. Mm-hmm. Okay, there's a little, there's the nerves and the fear, but at the same time, I know I've studied, um, I know the material, and so there's a bit of confidence there. The, the two definitely go hand in hand, and I, I almost think that one fuels the other mm-hmm. in a way. And if you're missing one of those components, then the balance is off, right. and and it's not good in either direction. Right. Um, let's take a quick break, quick music break, and we come back. We'll close out our show topic. How's that sound, producer? That sounds good to me. Let's make it happen. Thank you for those of you listening uh, to us and or calling in.
Welcome back to Roach on Recovery, 646-564-9909. We are talking about treatment and recovery postpartum. The treatment setting is over. What happens now? We're going to make it? (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. You are going to make it. Absolutely. So we've been talking about uh, some of the keys to succeeding postpartum, staying connected, going to aftercare groups, support groups. We didn't mention that. Support groups, uh, you know, unrelated to whatever treatment setting you're in, but finding a support mechanism if needed, or whatever kind of support uh, venue. Is that, is that a good good way of saying it? Yeah, a, a, a support venue that, that fits for you, that's positive, constructive, uh, that's with people that are about the same thing that you're about. Um, we talked about what some of the pitfalls might be. Um, being overconfident, cocky, uh, thinking that the learning process has halted, ceased, stopped, um, when in fact you're just you're entering a new experience, a new phase of the process. So there's going to be new learning, new experiences. Um, so the mind must always stay open and willing and accepting uh, in order to, you know, facilitate that. You, you certainly can't walk out saying, okay, I'm done. I've, I've absorbed and, and gotten everything uh, possibly get. And I know my English teacher is going to come with the yardstick, but I'll deal with that later. Um we talked about uh, knowing your triggers. Um, that's a pitfall. <coughs> Excuse me. That's a pitfall if you, at the time that you're you're entering this postpartum phase, that you haven't fully uh, identified what your triggers may be when you when you're back out in society and what your how you're going to cope with them when they arise, being able to identify them, to be aware is to be alive. You must not only know what your triggers are, but be aware of them, be able to identify them, and have your coping mechanism ready and raring to shoot into action to counteract them so that whatever decisions you make or actions you take are positive and constructive, not negative and destructive to what you're trying to accomplish. We talked about, and we did a we did a show specifically on triggers, by the way. So you can check our archives if you want to delve into that subject specifically. But um, and then uh, negative reservations. You know, hopefully you you it, it's it's my hope that whatever treatment setting you were in, that you the environment was trusting enough and you were honest enough where you can share what those negative reservations were, had an opportunity to flush them out, talk about them, and come to a point where they were no longer negative reservations, i.e., we've eliminated them. We've, we've realized that this is something that I'm not going to be able to do, I shouldn't do, it's not in my best interest, whatever it may be, because negative reservations range anywhere from A to Z. That's right. Okay. Um, and then we close on ultimately what's proper care and feeding <laughs> for the new the new one in recovery. That's right. Um, and we 
basically stated that uh, taking advantage of the practice opportunities that will no doubt be presented to you um, as you go into society, whether it's with your family, whether it's on the job, whether it's in your intimate relationships, etc., you're going to be presented with many and numerous and infinite opportunities to practice coping with your feelings, um, practice not allowing your feelings to dictate your behavior, practice um, dealing with life as it's presented to you in a positive and constructive way. And it all circles back to that first thing about when we talked when uh, and Mr. Producer talked about it about not being uh, to the point, not being so overconfident, cocky to the point that you're closed to learning or accepting the fact that I'm entering a new phase. There's going to be a whole new learning going on, new That's experiences right. to, going on. So. That's all I got on the postpartum. Pretty good. I think we covered it pretty well. One thing I did want to mention, too, and I think this is clear for many folks, but Mm -hmm. for some it may not be crystal clear, and we'd like to make it so, Mm -hmm. is that there is a difference between triggers and reservations. Yes. Now, you you can be triggered by whatever it is that triggers you without having left with negative reservations. Exactly. Triggers are a natural kind of part of what you're going to go through that you're going to have to learn how to deal with and cope with appropriately. But for those of you out there who are maybe not sure between the two and are feeling like, oh, my God, well, I'm getting triggered every day. That doesn't mean that you have a whole bunch of negative reservations and the end is upon you. Believe me, they they are two completely different things. Triggers are uh, quite natural uh, in some aspects, you know, they happen at a subconscious level at the beginning, uncontrollable. That doesn't mean that you can't control what you do when you are triggered, but the trigger may come about in an uncontrollable type of fashion. A song may come on the radio, you're triggered, and mm-hmm. that's just, it is what it is. And that does not mean that you missed something along the way or that you have reservations that you need to deal with. They're two separate things. Right. And reservations are, are, are conscious that's right. You can't you can't control what may be may come into your environment that may trigger you, and but there are certain triggers you may be aware of that you can control. For example, you may know going over to my mother-in-law's house is a trigger because of how our relationship is. So you know in advance about that. The question becomes, have I Mature to the point in terms of my my coping ability and my and my ability to deal with this interaction that it no longer impacts me negatively. That's the only question left to be answered, and the only way to answer that, or not necessarily answer it, but to get to that place where we would want you to get to, is by practicing it. You know, well, do you want to always go there and end up in a, in a huge argument? No, of course not. Well. What's causing it? How are you responding? Blah, blah, blah. Right. You can't control the other person, so we're just focused on you changing what you might do and how you respond so that you don't walk away from that experience always feeling, you know, terrible. Right. So that's that. All right. Beautiful. So why don't we uh, wrap up? 
with our uh, wrap up at the top end or bottom of the hour, depending upon yep. which angle you want to look at it, and, and then uh, come back to our perfect. Cover. And we do see we we have some people on hold here. We promise we are going to get to you right here on the other side. So please stay patient with us, and uh, we will get to everybody on the other side of the break.
Roach on Recovery is a program of OCG Radio. It deals with many topics related to substance abuse, substance abuse treatment and recovery. Our Recovery Support Time is a show segment where you can receive support from our host for any questions or issues you wish to present related to substance abuse, substance abuse treatment or recovery. You can reach our host live by calling 646-564-9909. That's 646-564-9909. Or you can send your questions via email at any time to ocgworkca at gmail.com. That's ocgworkca at gmail.com. And our host will respond to your questions on the air. Roach on Recovery. Recovery Support Time. A time for us to help you. on recovery 646-564-9909 recovery support time to the phones Mr. Producer let's make it happen alright we got let's see who do we got here someone calling in from Redwood City welcome uh, hello uh, how you doing good how uh, my you? name is my name is Juvenile Ibarra and uh, I was wondering um you know, I'm a, uh, I got some strikes on my record and a couple of felonies. Um, I'm in recovery as well, and I was wondering if, um, if there was any programs or anything like of that sort that could help me uh, in order to get a job because it's real hard for me to get a job. So I was wondering if there was any resources out there. Are you in California? Yes, sir. Then you Princess are very lucky. You are very lucky. The reason I'm saying you're very lucky is because California is passing more and more legislation. And I'll tell you specifically when I'm done. But they're passing more and more legislation to help people that are in your situation. Because finally, finally, they're finally realizing that someone who may have a checkered past but is now trying to turn their life around um, needs assistance with 
you know, getting over some hurdles that their past may be haunting them. You know what I'm saying? Yes, sir. Right. So the most recent attempt to help with that is Proposition 47, which passed last year. Uh-huh. And one of the things that it allows is for you to look at, this is in regards to if you have any felonies on your record, is to look at what the felonies are, okay, and I want you to, if you have access to a computer, you can go online and Google Proposition 47 in California and see if your felonies qualify as one of the felonies that can be changed from a felony to a misdemeanor. They have okay. a list of them. They have a list of them, okay? So that's one step. See if one of my felonies, any of my felonies, qualify to be changed to a misdemeanor. Many, many of those felonies that qualify, by the way, are nonviolent felonies mm-hmm. and drug-related. Okay. They're dropping almost all drug-related charges that were felonies to misdemeanors. We've actually had a plethora of clients in our organization um, go through that process. Right. The other thing is um, if you have done any time in prison or the county jail, what have you, they have programs now to assist you with uh, employment, any employment hurdles you may have when you get to that stage. So if you're in a treatment program right now and as you work your way through the program, you get to a point where you start looking for work, uh, these programs will help you. But the first thing is definitely to, if you have felonies, See if any of your felonies qualify to be dropped down to misdemeanors. So that's okay. usually the that's usually the largest hurdle for people when they're trying to turn their life around. They have felonies on their record, and you know the applications. By oh, mentioning applications, there's legislation pending for for them to eliminate that from employment applications. Mm-hmm. You know, because most applications now they ask you, have you ever been convicted of a felony or convicted of a crime? You know, felony crime, etc. Yeah. Um, and so they're they're considering for most occupations, you know, eliminating that from the application. So they're they're aware of the the difficulty that people are having who are trying to get their life together, trying to get back on the right track, but they're being you know hit against the wall with this you know their past is is coming coming back to haunt them. And yeah. there's also uh, just so you know, and there's also speaking of politics. And legislation, uh, something that is being discussed that may be voted on sooner than later, that actually not only with the same mindset of taking the question of a felony off the um, job application. Job application, thank you. Uh, but that they were going to have certain companies be forced to hire a somebody or X amount of people. I don't know. You know, this is all of the, part of the discussion but actually yeah. forced to hire people who are coming out of jail or prison for whatever reason, mm-hmm. uh, kind of like you know, like affirmative action in the schools, like right. having to take X amount of people for whatever reason. So there, there's a lot of talk going on to help folks in your situation. Okay, and what about, because I have a strike, and it's mm-hmm. for violence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that makes it pretty difficult for me, so... That's why I've been in search for resources, but haven't been able to find any. Well, how many felonies do you have? Um, I think I have two felonies, but the main thing that I'm concerned about is the strikes. 
how many strikes do you have? One. Okay. So you have one violent felony, and then the other felony is a nonviolent felony? No, I have a, a violent strike. Okay, but it's a felony crime. Yeah. Okay. And you said you had two felonies or just one felony? Two. Uh, is the other felony a nonviolent felony? Yeah. So that so focus on that one felony that's nonviolent, getting that one dropped down to a misdemeanor. Okay. Okay. And once uh-huh. you do that, there there the the as my co-host said, they're working on the other aspects of trying to provide even more opportunity for people. So even if you have a strike, you know, I'm not going to ask you what it what it is. You don't think to, I don't want that on yeah. the detail. Even, even if you have a strike, they're working on ways because you you may have a strike and you've done your time or whatever, and you're now trying to get your life back together, and. How are you going to do that if that prohibits you from getting a job, getting a place to live, and so on and so forth? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, yeah, there, 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 there's work in progress. So okay. While you're in your treatment setting, wherever it may be, whatever it may be, you continue to do what you're doing, but at the same time, look up that Prop 47 thing so that you can get that nonviolent felony dropped down to a misdemeanor. Okay. Let's start with that. Okay. Okay? All right. And do you know of any resources where I could go and they could help me look for a job? Yes. The program that you're in could help facilitate that. Okay. So when that time comes, when you're when it's time for you to start that process of looking for work? Yeah. Okay. The program that you're in will help facilitate that. Okay. Perfect. Okay. All right, perfect. All right. All right. Thank you. Thank you for your uh, answer. All right, you're welcome. Thank you, sir. You too. Bye-bye. All right. All right, bye. So, yeah, California is working hard to try and address those difficulties uh, for people who either have uh, significant criminal history you know, regardless of what your position may be, the reality is is you know people are going to come eventually be let out of prison either after serving their time or 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 from for whatever reason they're going to be let out. And as a society, we have to determine okay, so what what are we going to do? Do we want to reduce the recidivism of people returning back, committing crimes, and returning back, or do we want to try and provide some avenues? where people can turn their lives around from the criminal lifestyle to a positive lifestyle, provide a venue, an avenue for them to do that, and uh, a means where they can gain employment, work, be productive citizens, have uh, housing, and and not be discriminated against because they might have a checkered past. Um, if, If those things aren't available, the the results are pretty predictable. If someone can't find a job, can't find a place to live, they're going to go back to what they know best to survive. That's the best I can, how I can describe it. Uh, I got a non-screened uh, call here. Should we just go or are you screening it? Okay, I think he's screening it. 
All right, let's go to Marvin. Marvin, Hello. welcome. Hi, Hello, happy welcome. Tuesday. Hi, can you hear me? Yep. What's your question, sir? Okay. Hi, um, my name is Marvin, and I'm from Daly City, California. And um, in the process of making a choice and decision to where I would like to um, uh, be stable uh, and, and look for a job, um, and I'm from the Bay Area, Daly City, and my older brother uh, lives in Los Angeles, what's California. What's your What's your question, Marvin? Oh, what's your question I for need, us? Oh, I need to ask uh, for guidance of which choice uh, should I take. Um, either I go live with my older brother, who's willing to help me in Los Angeles, California, and willing to help me find a job there, or or, or stay here in um, San Mateo area. Whereas I'm trying to forget the things that I, you know, would like to forget forget that triggers me. Even though I have some selective good friends that I want to choose to hang out with, however, you know, I want to be able to start fresh in my recovery. Go, I, I would I would advise you, fresh start. If you have the opportunity for a fresh start, new beginning, take up your brother's offer and go to go to Los Angeles. That would be our advice. Or I let me not speak for the producer, but co-host, would you would you agree? I, I'll I would say this. I would say this that uh, a fresh start is a very excellent opportunity. Not a lot of people get that opportunity. Statistics show and research shows that uh, relationships and environment are two of the biggest contributors or factors into people relapsing and so being able to especially fresh in recovery being able to avoid those bumps in the road will be to your benefit and I would say that one thing I would stress to you Marvin is that it doesn't have to be permanent nothing is permanent assume you go and live with your brother for a year or two years at the very beginning of your recovery after treatment and you get some time under your belt clean and sober and you feel a little more confident. There's nothing to stop you from coming back to the area uh, down here in uh, where you're from, San Mateo County, and back to your family. So it does, the, the choice is not permanent. Um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't tell you what to do, but I would say giving you that information, you ought to make the choice that you believe is best for you and the goals that you're trying to accomplish. Okay, sir? Yes. All right, sir. Thank you for calling. I'll keep that in mind. Thank you so much. And have a nice day. All right. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. Was he the one you had difficulty hearing when you were screening? Yes. Oh, I, okay. I told him several times, make sure you no. speak into the phone. And oh, Okay. Yeah. Uh, do we go to the X-Files real quick? Let's hit up the X-Files. Let's do it. Here's Here's a good question. This is from Paige. Um, my mom can barely afford to live, and I feel like I should be making money to help her, but I am in treatment. I feel helpless. What do I do? Okay. Now, this dilemma comes up often, um, and not so much uh, 
with the child needing to help the, the parent, but the, like there might be the father might be in treatment, and was the, was the breadwinner, or the mother might be in treatment, was the was the, was the, you know one of the providers or both, yep, are in treatment, and um, the 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 family is struggling financially during that time. Okay, and so whenever I've encountered this with with clients, and you know they they struggle and they wonder whether or not you know I I need to go home because I need to you know go help my family out financially. I always pose this question, and this question is: If you're not ready to be successful, and you leave now, you leave the treatment setting, and you go home, and you do well for a little bit, a few months, or even a year or so, okay? But God forbid you enter a relapse phase. What have you actually done for your family? And so my advice to the client is always, well, let's first find out all the information of what's going on at home in terms of the struggle. What can we do as a program to help? Can we help find the resources that may be available in the community to help? Because there's nothing more important. I, I use this saying all the time. I, I used to ask this trick question, who's the most important person in the world? It's me. Because if I don't take care of myself, there's no way in the world I can take care of you, I would say to my daughters. Sure, right. Okay? I have to be right. I have to take, you know, make sure I'm doing the best for myself, taking care of myself, so that I can take care of you. Same applies. You have to be ready. You have to be at a point where you know that you are. your family. So many have been pulled out of treatment because of this um, this natural urge, you know, hey, my family's struggling. I don't want to see them struggle like that. I got to get home and I got to do something to help them. And it's premature. And the end result, more often than not, the scale is tipped way to the side of usually it does not work out. A relapse occurs. The, the 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 goal of wanting to help the family never materializes, and a lot of times we end up getting the person back. Yeah. Okay. So we want to avoid that. Okay, and see if there's any other option, any other possibility for the to to try and get the family through, so that you, the person that they're looking to to support them, so that you can get right, so that you can support them and be right at the same time. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So it's a, it's a tough one. Um, I would advise her, I said, you know, you should not leave. You, you, you This is a time to be selfish, unfortunately. I got to take care of me. I got to be right. And then when I finish taking care of me, then I, when I come home, then I can help out the household. That's right. And as hard as it may be with her mother struggling... Um, she's the mom, and, and I don't know. We don't know the situation. We don't know if the mom is disabled. We don't know any of the, you know the background. Data. Right, of course. So uh, it's hard to you know say anything. But 
we, what we do know is that this person is obviously in treatment, and they should stay there and finish their treatment because that's more. It's more important for them to. It's more important for everybody. And ultimately, yeah, long right, term. Involved, yes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, what if she leaves now and goes home and okay, she gets a job for a little bit, but then relapses? Who who's benefited? Right, exactly. If anything, you're doing more harm than good. By the way, when you were screening calls a few minutes back, I used the word gotten. That's not a real word, right? Gotten. Is that a real word? I don't believe so. Okay, so I, just got. I should expect the yardstick from my old English teacher. You should, yeah, yeah right on the knuckles. Yep. So, Paige, um, I would advise you, and my co-host agrees, stay in treatment and um, hopefully whatever the situation is at home, that that can bear itself out, but you got to take care of yourself. you got to take care of you. So that's one from the X-Files. We're ready to go back to the phone, sir? We certainly are. Okay. Uh, let's go to Jimmy from San Jose. Jimmy, welcome. Hi. Hi, how um, are you? I'm doing fine. How are you? Good. Uh, my question is, um, I am a 31-year addict to marijuana, and uh, I'm 42, so uh, I've been sober now about two weeks, um, which has been a struggle every day, and it seems to be getting harder every day, and I have this fog that I just can't think, and I'm thinking maybe I should just go back on the pot, so um, I wanted to ask your opinion on that. On whether or not you should go back on the pot? Yes, because I find that I just, I mean, when I smoke marijuana, it just gives me more clarity, and I can function more, and since I've been off it, I just, uh, it's just been really a struggle every day. And how long have you been using marijuana? About 30 years. Are you surprised that now that you have stopped, that you're you're physiologically going through what you're going through? Yes, yes, I am. <laughs> I well, figured why I'd, uh, since I stopped, I figured things would be more clearly. I could think a little bit faster, but it's actually been the opposite. I've been really sluggish. I can't seem to um, think. It's just like my brain would, just would, doesn't want to move. <laughs> would you like Would you like to know a little bit why that is? Sure. You've been using pot for thirty-one years. You've stopped for two weeks. Do you think for that it's going to be two weeks for your your whole physiological systems to detox themselves from the marijuana to get you back to a state, an original state of being, where you won't feel like you're feeling right now at this moment? That's not going to happen in two weeks. Not after 31 wow. years of using. Yeah. So, yes, it is going to be a struggle in terms of what you're experiencing. The question you have to answer, because the question you pose to me is always going to be, no, I don't think you should go back on the pot, 
But the question, more importantly, the question you have to answer is, what is your ultimate goal, your ultimate end game? That's a question to you. Yes. Yes. Ultimate end game. Yeah, can you tell us? (laughs) Um, What your ultimate ultimate goal is, what your ultimate end game is? Yeah, that's, right now it's like, uh, I have no idea. Uh, Okay. Uh, I plan to go back to school and maybe mm-hmm. work on something, but uh, like I said, I just I just have this fog that just just uh, keeps me from seeing. Um, I'm just going through recovery. It's not going. It's, it's, uh, I, I, it's not going to be permanent. Everybody who uses an, you know a particular drug. Okay, always has to deal with some type of negative, for lack of a better term, consequence is not what I'm looking for, but that's all I can think of, consequence when they stop until the body corrects itself, corrects. So you might, you will experience what you're experiencing until your body rids itself of these toxins and other things that you know, may may exist after 31 years. Yeah, yeah, you get it. so so you're so you have to keep in mind you're kind of you're working backwards, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So what you're feeling now with the foggy and the cloudy and everything else might be what somebody would be experiencing who had been clean for 30 years and just started smoking weed. Exactly. Um, so you're you're kind of on the, the opposite schedule here. Uh, but as the host said, it's certainly not permanent. It's a process that your body needs to take on physically, physiologically, neurologically. There is a ton that needs to take place in order for you to fully detox and every system that your body uses to operate itself with that marijuana has impacted. And so when you've used as heavily as you have for as long of a duration as you have, the process is definitely going to be just that. It's a process that's going to take time. However, it will get better. Okay. All right. Well, I thank you. Don't give up, Jimmy. All right. Thank you. You have a good one. All right, you too. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thirty-one years. A long time. And and people have this misconception that you know oh, there's no effects from marijuana in terms of you know if you do stop after thirty-one years, twenty years, whatever that you know it's 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 a you know it's a psychologically addicted drug. It's not a physically addicted drug, but there's not going to be any physical side effects, so to speak, when you stop that you have the body has to go through. Right. You know what I mean? And you you nailed it with your analogy. That he's he's at the opposite end. I mean I can imagine what I would feel like if I smoked yeah. a joint. <laughs> right, exactly how he's feeling. I'd be looking, you know, waving my hands in front of me, wondering what the hell? Where where am I at? Exactly, right. Exactly. And it's um and also you can do the math there. I believe he said he was forty two years old, thirty one years, so he was smoking starting at the age of eleven. Mm-hmm. There's some processes that he stunted Impacted and or put his to brain brain development. Halt. Yeah. Right. And so that's a process that is going to take time for him to develop the you know, 
what he needs to develop properly in that capacity as well. Okay. All right, let's go back to the phones. We have uh, Kimberly from Half Moon Bay. Hello. Hi. Good. Hi, how Hi, are you? Kimberly. Good. Hi. Um, how can we help my you? question, um, I wanted to know um, from the literature that I've been reading what a wet brain is. A wet brain is usually someone who has long-term alcoholism. Uh, some people would be described as having a, a wet brain. Um, people, they, they might show some signs of like uh, dementia um, mm-hmm. or a type of dementia that's directly connected to alcohol alcoholism or long-term alcoholism Mm -hmm. and they've traced it to a vitamin deficiency i think it's a b b1 vitamin um but that the wet the term wet brain is is a slang term it's there's a the 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 condition is actually if i'm pronouncing it correctly warnick korsakoff syndrome Uh. But it's called it, it wet, wet brain. Is it curable? Uh, it's not an issue of curable. It's an issue of stop drinking, start eating uh-huh. properly, sleeping properly, and it, and if you eat properly, you'll correct the vitamin deficiency. Okay. So. Uh, yeah, I'm just curious because um I've been reading that you know the AA literature and stuff okay. and um you know I'm just getting more involved like um actually. I visited my parents over the weekend, and Sunday, my dad and I, we um, took a ride up top of Skyline, and I was able to do my amendment to him, okay. and he accepted, um, but I was wondering, I'm not, <clears throat> I don't know, I'm, okay, I had an MRI done, and they found small blood clots in the small veins in my brain, so I'm another type of this, medicine. Is this, what, is this what prompted your question on uh, regarding the wet brain? Yeah, I was wondering if that was one of the symptoms. No, well, unless you've been diagnosed with suffering from dementia Mm -mm. uh, related to end-stage alcoholism, then no. But if you have, if you have, if you have been an alcoholic and you're in recovery, um, you know, the best thing, other than you know, making sure there's no issues with your liver, which is, I think, the primary organ that alcohol damages first. And then other organs, by the way. That's why I think alcohol is probably the worst drug because it damages so many primary organs. Um, and especially the brain, too. Oh, yeah. Really the, in- yeah the, the, the brain is a primary organ. You need your brain. So, But that's what the definition of the wet brain term is, okay? Okay. Well, I appreciate All right. it. All right. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Wet brain. Fascinating. <laughs> and uh, for the record, for anyone who cares who is listening, Korsakoff syndrome, and I don't know if she is still listening, is so incredibly rare. Mm. I think it's identified in less than like 0.5% mm-hmm. of cases from people with severe alcoholism. Mm-hmm. It's an incredibly, incredibly rare disorder. Yeah. Uh there's no saying. Sometimes too much information is not good. Yes. Well, especially 
when you're in the waiting room at a doctor's office and you're reading WebMD on your phone <laughs> trying to diagnose yourself, you might uh, go in there believing you've got everything in the book. <laughs> uh, can we hit the X-Files? Let's hit the X-Files. Let's see what we have going on there. This is a... Oh, I love this question. I even love the way he wrote it. Oh, okay. This is from Joshua, San Francisco. How do I continue my relationship with the woman I love if she still drinks? <laughs> is that exactly the way, you wrote, the way it? you wrote it? That's pretty awesome. Let me let me just repeat it. Put a little more emphasis. How do I continue my relationship with the woman I love if she still drinks? Just go right back to drinking, Joshua. Just you guys can ride off into the sunset together. No, that's a great question, boy. That's and we get. You know, on a similar scale, we get those questions all the time. Old mm-hmm. friends, old relationships, you know, and these are people who folks have established serious bonds with yep. over several years, and it's a difficult one. It's mm-hmm. a tough one. Um, well, the obvious answer is... It's not possible to continue a healthy relationship. And also, he didn't qualify drink. drink, I mean, should we just presume he means she's an alcoholic type drinker, you know, or versus. As opposed to a casual or social social drinker? Social drinker. Because we can't cast aspersions on someone that's a social drinker and drinks responsibly um, and doesn't have any negative impact to their life, you know, versus someone who's an alcoholic or drinks irresponsibly and, you know, and so on and so forth. I would have to imagine he was making mention that she's she abuses alcohol. Right. Okay. That would so, be my first hunch when hearing that question. Okay. So, and if that's the case, then there's no way to continue a, a healthy relationship. You can get into an unhealthy relationship, of course, if you choose, but it wouldn't be a healthy relationship. And well, I'm just going to cut you off because I have to screen a call. Right. Or when you're done with treatment, it can be her turn. You tell her what a great experience you had and how things have changed. Absolutely. And now it's your turn. There you go. There you go. Uh, but Josh, you're going to have to. You got a decision to make because you you don't you don't possess. One human being doesn't possess the ability to force another human being to do something that they're not ready to do, and so. If uh, I wish I wish I had you on the phone with this call because there's some questions I'd want to answer to ask you, but since I don't have you, um, when these type of questions come up, the behavior of the other party when when you're trying to do right, live you know live a positive, constructive lifestyle, and the other party is using and abusing drugs or alcohol or what have you. What is it that their their actions say to you? What is it that she's actually saying? Is she actually saying, well, listen, you know, I want to be with you. I'm about what you're about. Um, I support you and what you're doing. That's not what she's saying. I know it's painful to hear. I know it's painful to hear. But her behavior is actually doing the big R. You know what the big R is, Mr. Producer? Are you going to go resentment on me? No, the other R. Uh, 
That is a big R, too, by the way. I, I keep Resentment's the biggest I, R for me. Oh, okay. Well, the, the, the rejection. Rejection. Okay, yeah, yeah that, that's a big one. Yeah, that's a big one. Um, but, yeah, resentment's another big one. So we got two big R's for the future future reference. That's right. I have to be more specific. But uh, her behavior is basically rejecting you because you're you're now about one thing, and she's still about the other thing. And as long as she's still about the other thing, the behavior says, I don't want to be with you, regardless of the words that come out the mouth. It's not about the words. It's about the actions. And unfortunately, as I said, you can't control or force another person to do something they're not willing to do, ready to do, or want to do. So that's that. But it's the woman he loves. That means something. That's a it's a difficult situation. But, but it drags people down. It does. That, that love love drags people down. Is it, that the name of a country song? Or did we just make up a country song? Love drags people down. Love, love will drag you down. I would have to imagine that somewhere in the middle of the country that song that has song. been written. <laughs> <laughs> we just don't know about it. All right. Let's go to John from Texas. Yes, hello. From the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> Austin, Texas, baby. <laughs> oh, goodness. Where is it? There we go. How about them Cowboys? Yeah! Oh, boy. <laughs> this show just took a violent turn in the wrong direction. How can we help you, John? Oh, yeah, I have a question. About something that you guys are talking about, love and everything, about being in relationships. You know, for some people say that being an alcoholic and being in a relationship is bad news. And, you know, I kind of have like a similar situation with my ex-girlfriend, kind of. And mm-hmm. she says, you being an alcoholic changed you and your temper. And, you know, obviously I'm trying to uh, recover myself and do good. What mm-hmm. What advice can you give me to try to help? help that situation out besides recovering, you know, as far as talking to her and saying, what what do I, like, what do, I do, basically? So, let me see if I'm hearing this correctly. So okay. as a result of your drink, and I'm going to be raw, so excuse me. Oh, no as, a result of, as a result of your drinking, you had very bad behavior within the relationship. Yes. Okay. And you're now... In treatment, entering recovery, want to change your life around, become yeah. a better person, don't want to do the things you did before while you were drinking, etc. And the question no. is, how can I impress upon her that I am serious about what I'm doing? I am serious about changing my ways. Um, when I drink, I'm aware of the type of person I become, the person I was, etc., but mm-hmm. that is not going to be me in the future. How can I impress upon her to trust that, believe that, and uh, and and believe that there is a chance for us to continue in the future? Do I got it down exactly. right? Exactly. Okay. Exactly what I'm trying to say. All right. There's only one way on God's green earth that's going to happen. You ready for the answer? I'm ready. You got to show and prove. There's nothing for you to say. She's going to judge you based on what you do. So, number one, 
she's saying. Are you still in contact with this person, by the way? Um, we talk here and there, you know, but nothing like how we usually you know like every like every relationship, you know, like every day, all okay. day. Okay, all right. Just like but she's kinda, aware. Like, hey, how you, like, but, but hey, she's how you doing? What you up to? I'm sorry. What? But she's aware. She's aware that you're trying to get your change your life. Yeah, she's aware that I'm like trying to okay. recover all myself. Right. Okay, good. So, all you need to do is do it, and she will watch from afar what you do. Mm-hmm. And if through your actions you show that you are deadly serious about changing your life. Mm-hmm then that will speak volumes to her more than anything that comes out of your mouth. Mm-hmm. And that's Actually, all that you can than words, right? Absolutely. I know it's a cliche, but there's nothing you can yeah. say because of the history. The only thing you can do is do. So if you're committed to changing your life, follow through on that commitment. And she will watch and see that you're serious. Mm-hmm. And that's what she will judge you on, and that's how she'll make a determination on whether or not it is safe for me to get back with this gentleman. And yeah. what you will do while 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 you're showing and proving, you will also, on a lighter degree, you know, use your mouth. You'll talk. You'll take responsibility for things that you've done. You'll take ownership for things that you've done. You'll acknowledge. What alcohol, what how it how it impacts you, affects you, affected the relationship. You have to own it. You know what okay. I'm saying? I know what you're saying. <clears throat> All the things you got to do if you if in your mind and in your heart that that's the woman you want back. Yeah, you know, say like she gave me multiple opportunities to try to change, and I kind of like ignored it, mm-hmm. and I I finally like. Realize of what I'm doing, you know, I'm like this girl, like I kind of love her and stuff, and I want to spend the rest of my life with her, but I just didn't change for her, and I should have. But now that I'm finally realizing it, that I'm actually trying to do something with my life now, you know. So focus on you. Focus on you, and you can keep a tentacle, one tentacle, out there, to, you know, continuing to talk and touch with her. Mm-hmm. Um. But allow her the space to watch what you're doing and see for herself. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, definitely. Like, I don't want to, you know, like, come out like, oh, yeah, I'm ready to go. I've changed my, no, you know? No, no, Like, obviously, I know through time I have to change. Yeah. And, John, but, uh, ultimately, if it's meant to be, it will be. Yep, definitely. That's the way. Okay. It sucks to see it like that, but, you know, it is the truth. All right. Okay. Thank you. I hope we help. No problem. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. More relationships. That's right. That's right. That's a big one for people. Yeah, if 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 you've been in a rough relationship with and you know, especially with alcohol involved and and there's you know, I don't know what the relationship was, so I'm not going to say I don't know what the relationship was, but um, and and you know you're now entering recovery and you're trying to get your act together. Um, you have to understand that the person isn't where you may be at, 
you know, they have to go through their own recovery right. process, you know. Right. And, you know, it's hard when, you know, if there's love involved and, you know, and but there's history, negative history. Well, the only thing you can do is show and prove. There's nothing you can say. That's it. No. Yeah, exactly. Time and consistency mm-hmm. and that's that's all that's all you got. Yeah. Yep. All right, let's go to uh Dylan from Richmond. Welcome. Hi. Hey Dylan, how you doing? Hi. Uh well, I was wondering if you had any help for um controlling impulses, you know, just momentary impulses that lead you down the wrong uh down the wrong street and want to get, uh, use again. So People used to say this saying a lot in the treatment setting, and 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 I would I would correct it at least from my opinion, just my opinion. I'm not saying it's yeah. fact. It would say, "Oh, I didn't think before. I didn't think before I, I said that, or I didn't think before I yeah. did that." Okay, and I said, "Lo, you know, in the animal world, if animals don't think." They'll die. So the frog sitting on the lily pad, this, if the moment that it's not aware and thinking, the lizard's coming up behind it to to to, to gobble it up. So I usually say it's not that you didn't think, but there was a split second where you thought, and you just disregarded the thought. So okay. you know you're about to do something wrong or say something wrong, and there's that split second where it's like, don't say it, don't do it, and you just disregard it and you go forward. So yeah, that's the, question right. you have, the question you have is how do we slow that process down so you have the opportunity to, you know, let your thinking follow through to control that impulse. True? Correct? Yep, yep, yep. Well, I can only tell you what my mother told me. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hear it. And it and it works. The old count to ten. Don't do or say anything until you count to ten. There's no magic. There's no. There's no. Uh, help me out, Mister Producer. I think magic's a good yeah, word. Yeah, there's yeah. no uh, drug. There's no cure. There's no antidote. No. no no magic, magical formula or yeah. potion. It's self-control developed, self-discipline developed, and so what's the mechanism for developing and slowing down a little bit? And well, my mother said you got to count to ten, and then after ten, then you can decide whether or not it's going to be a smart thing or or not so smart thing. And as simple as that sounds, it works. I don't know what else to say. I think yeah. Okay. I think that that makes a lot of sense. It's difficult and. You are going to have those, like you described, those split-second decisions or impulses that are going to come up. And nine out of ten times, you know it's bad. You know that you are on thin ice and you're about to make a poor decision. Even if it's in a split second, you know that. But you, in your your own mind, went to those magical two words that we talk about people in recovery using all the time. One begins with an S, the other one begins with an I. <laughs> and uh, and then the follow-through with uh, with that in mind. So 
Yeah, count to ten, something to, like uh, the host was saying, to slow you down so you can maybe uh, respond to the logical part of yourself that is saying, eh, not such a good idea. Mm-hmm. Any any way to prepare yourself for that, just say, all right, slow down, no matter what happens. Yes, and that is using prior ex- prior experience prior frame of reference so if you if if you've experienced certain things certain circumstances you know previously and they may reoccur you know you have the opportunity to use the prior experience to say okay if this comes up again this is what I'm going to do differently yeah. it's totally different if a new experience hits you boom all of a sudden and you're not prepared or you or you don't know how to respond and so you in, impulsively respond just based on whatever, okay, that's one thing. But like my co-host said, more often than not, we've seen this movie before. So the question becomes, look, am I going to design a different response or am I going to keep make, doing making the same mistake over and over, same decision over and over? See, the first time when you don't know, you don't have information, it's a mistake. Now when you have some experience... Yeah. And you have information, it becomes a decision. Yeah, I got you. Okay. All right, Food sir. Food for thought. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. How are we on time, sir? We're up against it. It's time It's time for you oh, to sign off, and then right. I'll sign us off. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm done. All right, perfect. Well, we want to thank everyone again who called in, who listen to the show, people who are participating weekly, we beg of you to follow us.
That's our show for this evening. Thank you for listening. Be sure to listen to our next broadcast Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG Radio. Like us, friend us, and follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash OCGWorkCA and on Twitter at OCGWorkCA. You can listen to podcasts of all our shows on iTunes under Roach on Recovery or on our Blog Talk Radio homepage. This has been a presentation of OCG Recovery Radio. Until then, baby, are you